So we are exploring wider. We were diving deeper, now we're exploring wider. And we were talking a little bit about how stories inform us. They inform us about the past. They inform us about how people looked at life. They inform us about what they valued and some of their cultural characteristics. Now we're asking questions. And questions enlarge us because the more questions you ask, the deeper you get into topics that you did, maybe you didn't have any information about, or, uh, and as you ask questions, you begin to explore areas and avenues that maybe you haven't explored before. And we're going to do that today, and what we've been doing two weeks ago when I started this emphasis, we asked the question, how did it all begin? And so we talked about um, from infinity and beyond that we live in a very ancient uh, universe with multiple universes that have developed over a long period of time. Then last week we asked the question, who is God? And we talked a little bit about God being the wholeness of being and uh, the existence in which uh, we find our life as well. The, uh, Paul tells those in Athens, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Today, what we're going to talk about is humanity. What is humanity? And I want to use the title today of progressive participants in God's created order. Now, when we ask the question, what is humanity? That's a very long and complex topic. It's rooted in history, yes, but it's also rooted in geography, culture, languages, literature, and wisdom from a vast number of people across the centuries. But in light of the last couple of messages, we see that science can show us some answers to the questions that we have. Yes, the universe is 13.7 billion years old. We know that there are multiple universes and that the universe is continuing to expand. We don't know if we're the first universe or if we're one of the latter universes, but we do, what we do know is our universe is suitable to be able to have life, at least on this planet. Now today, we're going to talk a little bit about what we do with the information that comes to us through science about evolutionary development of humanity. This is a process that has taken place over millions and millions of years. And we know that from the fossil record, the geological records, and the human genome. Today, what we want to talk about is where does the Bible and science intersect on this topic? We use a collection of writings. Yes, they are ancient. They go back a couple thousand years. But it is nothing in comparison to the age of the universe in which we live. And so we need to understand a little bit about what humanity is by taking into account this group of people, male and females, that go all the way back to at least where we can see where life is beginning. And what does it mean to be made in the image of God? How does God make that happen? So what you're going to find is this slide here is going to give you three options on how to look at this particular topic. So let me explain what this is representing. And uh, it's not an electrical schematic or anything like that. What it is is it's just breaking down 
a couple of different options with a subdivision uh, uh, of one of those options. So they're all in different colors here, the orange representing creation. Now, <clears throat> many people within Christianity believe that God created the universe in seven literal 24-hour days, that um, Adam and Eve are the very first human beings that ever populated the planet, and that all of human population has come from those two individuals. And so the way this would work out is from creation, we have Adam and Eve, and that they are told that they are image bearers because in Genesis 1.27, where we read just a moment ago, it says, let us make man, mankind, in our image. So the question becomes here, do all, does all humanity descend from Adam, Adam's offspring? And then how does his sinful rep, uh, representation in the book of Genesis affect humanity that comes from uh, behind him? So um, God develops this process. God initiates it. He creates everything out of nothing. So you'll hear that particular viewpoint. And, and basically, uh, a lot of that is built upon Genesis 1 and 2. The other option is the evidence of science shows us that there has been a lot of development over the course of millions of years through evolution. But there's a subdivision of evolution that uh, I want to, sh want to show you. You probably learned a little bit about Charles Darwin uh, along the way of your schooling. And of course, strict evolution is the idea that uh, there was a historical atom, but uh, this atom, which means um, you know, the representation of all mankind, developed over uh, millions of years. And in the Bible, he's the first chosen representative of someone who is fully functioning as a human being. Then from there, he is also designated as an image bearer. But there's another thing here. It's a hominid group, which is the idea that we are related also to the species of the apes as well. Do you know that we share 95% of the same DNA? as uh, the gorilla and chimpanzee family. So this is the idea that we develop as mankind as the highest expression of the evolutionary process that has taken place. Now one that you probably have not heard of is also recognizing the representation of Adam in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but it is not a literal historical person, it's a literary device. That Adam and Eve are a literary device that is representing something very important. It, they, can, they can be a parable or metaphor or symbol, but when you compare the book of Genesis and the way it unfolds, what you'll find is the book of Genesis is really trying to recapture the identity of Israel. So that's why the story is told in the book of Genesis about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the descendants of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now if that is true, some scholars think that Adam is the first 
person um, mentioned in the book of Genesis as part of retelling the history of Israel. Because it is believed that the book of Genesis is not as old as what this group of uh, theological scholars say, that the book of Genesis was actually written after the exile. So the book of Genesis is trying to recapture and reframe the story of the nation of Israel because they lost their identity when they were taken into Babylon. They began to intermarry. They began to uh, adopt other ways of life. So it was a way of getting the story back. So you have three options. That makes sense to everybody? You have kind of a literal interpretation. You have a literary interpretation over here. So when people say to you, and I'm sure you've heard this, I take the Bible literally. Have you ever heard that? I take the Bible literally. <clears throat> well, that's a, that I understand the intent behind it, but it's better to say I take the Bible seriously. Okay? Because if you take it literally, what you're going to find is you're going to miss a lot of the themes and a lot of the literary power of the Bible as it builds on one another. So I don't want to put a theological burden upon you, but I do want you to understand the topic. When asking the question, what is humanity, you kind of have to look at this flow chart a little bit, and you have to kind of look and see what, fix, uh, what uh, fits rather both the Bible and what we learn from science. So the way I'm summarizing this over in the corner here is in Genesis, when you have the first creation accounts, I think what it's telling us is we have a sharing of meaning and purpose as human beings made in God's image. I'll come back to that in a moment. What's, what I think is being contributed here is the sharing of DNA and developmental process of human beings is such that we are a part of an evolutionary development. So, when we talk about that then, when we talk about Adam and Eve, the representation of what is considered the first couple is really the idea of someone that now begins to carry on God's work intentionally in the world around us. An interesting observation. We think that Adam and Eve are a big deal. Did you know Adam is not mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament except here in Genesis? So if it's such a big deal that they are the first couple that begins the whole human family, why is that topic ignored through the whole Old Testament? The only time you'll find Adam mentioned in the New Testament is when Paul uses the figure of Adam in Romans chapter 5. And that's a complicated argument in terms of what Paul is trying to do in the book of Romans. So Adam doesn't get a lot of press, is what I'm trying to say. We have made a much bigger deal out of Adam than what's actually in the text here. So let's keep that in mind, that Adam is not mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament. He's mentioned only twice in the New Testament. And Adam is, if you keep this in mind here, proto-Israel. That's a very important term. The very first representation of what Israel was to become as God's chosen people. 
Dr. Peter N. says in his book, The Evolution of Adam, he talks about Adam is the beginning of the story of Israel. And as he, do, as he does so, if you take the story of Israel and you put it side by side with Adam, you'll find here is a group of people that went into the promised land after they were in slavery. And then they were taken out of the promised land by the exile to Babylon. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They are exiled outside the Garden of Eden after their sin. There's a lot of parallels between Israel's story as a whole and the story of Adam and Eve. So with that in mind, here's what I'd like to do. So there's a guy by the name of Francis Collins that I think does a very good job in helping us to understand how you take these two traditions, the Bible as well as science, and bring them together. And I'm just going to read it because he does a nice job of succinctly summarizing it. The universe came into being out of nothingness approximately 13.7 billion years ago. Despite massive improbabilities, the properties of the universe appear to have been precisely tuned for life. With the precise mechanism of the origin of life on Earth remains unknown, once life arose, the process of evolution and natural selection permitted the development of biological diversity and complexity over very long periods of time. Once evolution got underway, no special supernatural intervention was required. Humans are a part of this process, sharing a common ancestor with the great apes. But humans are also unique in ways that defy evolutionary explanation and point to our spiritual nature. This includes the existence of moral law and the search for God that characterizes all human cultures throughout history. So I'm going to leave that up there for a few moments. This particular summarization, I think, does a, a, a good thing of summarizing how you take these different comp uh, components and bring them together. So the book of Genesis tells us that whenever and however we became human, we were given a designation of being made in the image of God. Now you have to take that in the context of when that statement was made in the book of Genesis. What is Genesis trying to do? Well, I think one purpose of the book of Genesis is to show that there's one true creator God versus a multitude of sub-gods like the moon god, the sun god, the river god, all these gods that were often worshipped in other cultures. Humanity did not spring fully formed from the head of Zeus or fall from the sky like one of the gods in Greek mythology. Humanity did not come from somewhere other than earth. And that's why uh, it says in Genesis, from dust you come and to dust you shall return. So where did all this dust come from that begins to form that, again, goes back to the Big Bang. You'll have to go back to the previous messages when I talk about that. So we are made of dust, and we come from the stars, but yet we have skin and soul, blood and being, energy and patterns. We're both large and small, strong and weak, formidable and faint, reflecting the image of the divine, and we are an exotic blend of awesome and pathetic, <laughs> extraordinary and lame, big and small. So... We are made of trillions of atoms, 
in our body. And atoms develop different systems. You have a nervous system, an immune system, a limbic system, a circulatory system, digestive system, muscular system, skeletal system. That's probably only a few, right? We have all these systems that have developed over a course of time. But they're all made up of the same basic ingredients, elements. Hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and a few others. Same thing that the stars are made of. I mentioned a moment ago about 96% of our DNA is in the same hominin group as apes and chimpanzees. Now, what does that mean? It means that I think God allowed creation to develop naturally, naturally over a long, long, long period of time. But at some point in time, God chooses to intervene, and then it says in Genesis, he breathes into Adam the breath of life. That breath of life, I think, is also related to being made in the image of God, that we have the potential of doing things that other, uh, other creatures in the animal world do not. And it's the ability to develop all kinds of abilities to reason and to invent, to use creativity, language, all these type of things. And so what I'm saying is this long process, bang, the big bang, expansion, the heat and the cooling down, suitable stars and planets begin to green. Insect, fish, reptiles, birds, mammals, man and woman are all in the process of developing, but humanity is the point of it all. I think that's what Genesis is getting at. Why does God allow this whole thing to develop the way he does? Is so that he gets to humans that are fully functioning and fully potential of carrying out what he is like. So think about this for a moment. In the evolution of humanity and history, there's a lot of things that develop that correspond to the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So we already talked a little bit about Genesis 1 and 2. Humanity as the image of God what does that mean? Well, part of what it means, I think, is that human beings are a representation of God in the world, that we have the ability to do certain things that reflect the type of attributes that God has. Secondly, there's a relational counterpart to a progressive God. If God is continuing to expand the universes, if God is continuing to create, then he is a progressive God that continues to move forward. And as he does so, we are invited to be in a relational counterpart to that. And so let me say this. And, and when people say, I wish I could get back to the good old days, you're facing the wrong direction. Because what you're doing is saying, I want to freeze frame something at a point in time because I like that point in time. Well, remember what I said last week when God showed himself to Moses? He only saw the backside of God. We talked about that in Exodus last week. <clears throat> Which means God is saying, you're watching where I'm going, not where I'm coming from. In other words, if we are going to be in step with God, in what he is doing, God is always moving forward. And as he does so, he is continuing to ask us to participate with him 
in the ongoing development of things that will allow for human flourishing. Now we have obstacles that we have to overcome. And those obstacles are when we freeze frame certain things that prevent God from continuing to move forward and us moving along with Him. But think of all the developments that have changed over the course of, of time. So think about, let's just use the name Adam and Eve, but let's think about those first human beings. In the days of dinosaurs, they were prey, right? Okay, they were food. They have to move from being prey to participants in God's rule. Be fruitful and multiply and rule over creation. So there's progress. Secondly, there is the development of abstract thoughts and language. The story in Genesis 3 about the tree of the knowledge of good and, of good and evil. The idea that knowledge will continue to increase and develop and how we use that is very important. Thirdly, is the development of beliefs and stories, and from that comes the, the development of religion. Um, we're going to talk about this next week. What is religion? Because it's not just our Western idea of religion. What about religion as a whole in humanity? You have the development of tools and weapons as well. Again, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, these stories are all couched in there. The story of Cain and Abel taking implements and using them to farm, but taking those same type of things and using them to kill your own brother. So there's pluses and minuses. There's the development of fear and violence, the potential for both destruction and even extinction when you think about how we develop as human beings now the weapons are bigger and more lethal than they were back in the days of Genesis, right? So when you think about this evolutionary process that we have watched over the course of time, you have human beings are hunters, thinkers, communicators, they are believers, they're storytellers, they are religious ritualists, they are developers of tools and weapons and warfare, and all of that type of thing can lead to things like slavery and racism and so forth, genocide and so forth. So the choice then becomes, if we are made in the image of God, how do we use all that capacity and continue to progressively participate in what God wants to do in the world? That's a great question. How do we progressively participate with God in his rule in the world? So C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this, For long centuries God perfected the animal form, which was to become the vehicle of humanity and the image of himself. He gave it hands whose thumb could be applied to each of the fingers and jaws and teeth and throat capable of articulation and a brain sufficiently complex to execute all of the material motions whereby rational thought is incarnated. The creature may have existed in this state for ages before it became man. It may have even be been clever enough to make things which a modern archaeologist would accept as proof of its humanity. But it was only an animal because of all of its physical and psychological pro uh, processes were directed to purely material natural ends. Then, in the fullness of time, God caused to descend upon this organism 
both on its psychology and physiology, a new kind of consciousness which could say I and me, which could look upon itself as an object, which knew God, which could make judgments of truth, beauty, and goodness, and which was so far above time that it could perceive time flowing past. Um, this got C.S. Lewis into a little bit of hot water. Do you know why? It was recognizing the evolutionary process. And this group back here began to be uh, a little bit disillusioned with C.S. Lewis, even though he was a hero within the Christian faith. But what he did was he took into account all that he saw from science, and I think he does a great job of summarizing for us what happened. Humanity develops all of these capabilities, but there is a point in time where God says, now, and he's called Adam, she's called Eve, I'm placing upon you this commission to cooperate with me in my rule in the world, to be a participatory um, individual that will continue to evolve and grow and allow humanity to flourish. I think that's what Genesis is telling us. So what is the next phase then of evolutionary development? Well, here's the ABCs, okay? One is accepting the ordinary fragile humanity that we all have as being revelatory of God's ongoing work. God didn't just stop creating, God continues to create. And I think we need to become more aware of how God is continuing to take his creation forward. Will we cooperate? Secondly, believing every person and creature merits the utmost respect and attention because in that living being is where God dwells. Thirdly, cooperating with God's evolutionary work makes the bonds of God's love in the world a tangible reality. In other words, if we cooperate with God and where he wants to take creation, we are fully carrying out being made in his image. So I want to close today with a reading. This comes from a, a poet by the name of John Rodell. And this is called The Way to Earth. And it's a little bit lengthy, uh, but I think you'll appreciate how when we talk about new human beings coming into the world, they are a gift given to us from God, the great creator. And they too have all kinds of potential to progressively participate with God's work in the world. So John writes this little uh, scenario and he's envisioning a new baby coming into the world. Listen, it's great. God dried his tears and waited for the next brand, uh, the next brand new, let me start over. God dried his tears and waited for the next brand new soul to enter the departure room. The divine drew a slow, deep breath. Time stopped for a moment and then raced to catch up. The door between time and space opened and a little purple cloud floated in timidly. God met it with a big smile. There you are, little soul. I've been waiting an eternity for this moment, God said with his trademarked laugh. Here I am, the new soul said with a shaky voice. Are you ready for your first day, God asked. The new soul approached the tube and nodded tentatively. 
It studied the tube that was supposed to send it down to earth in a flurry of light and song. Don't be nervous, little one, God said, while cupping the soul up in his large hands and holding it tight against his naked chest. The journey to your body will be smooth. It will be like riding a tide. I don't know what a tide is. Oh, you will someday, little one, you will. God exclaimed with a chuckle. Tides are amazing. If you ever want to remember where you came from, go spend time watching waves. Okay. God smiled. Uh, God's smile widened. He so loved this part, God held the soul even closer. Ready? Okay, the new soul said. The warmth of God's touch spread a charge through its wispy form like the softness of lightning. Before you go, I need to ask you the question I ask every single soul I send to earth, God said, while laying the soul down into the tube. All right, the new soul responded uncertainly. God leaned down and kissed the new soul at the apex of its billowing shape. The kiss sent another charge of electricity through the soul, but this one was much stronger than the first. The new soul felt the first pangs of life move through it. Its essence groaned with creation. The tube began to hum. An ancient song began to play. Are you ready for your question, little soul? God asked. Yes, the soul replied. God stared straight into the core of the soul with the gentlest of eyes. His eyes contained the light of Genesis. God leaned in and asked, Will you be kind to every other soul you meet while you are in your body on earth? The soul paused a bit before answering for dramatic effect. This wasn't a question. This wasn't a question. Wasn't a surprise. The new soul had been told during orientation that God would ask it, but wanted to pretend to give it a thoughtful reply. The new soul wanted God to think that it had reflected on it deeply, despite the fact that there was only one way it could answer the question. After a moment, the new soul answered, Yes, God, of course I'll be kind. To every other soul? Yes, to every other soul. God's smile stretched out into the corners of the universe. Well then, little love, your adventure begins right now. Enjoy the adventure. The new soul began to vibrate, and the tube closed around it, and in a flash it was gone. Have a great first day on earth, little one. Remember to look for the waves if you ever get homesick down there, God yelled out to the fading contrails of the freshly vanished soul. The room fell silent. God began to sob. Why are you crying? An eavesdropping nebula asked as it was passing by. God always found his celestial creations to be the most noisy. God drew a slow breath before responding. Time stopped for a moment and then raced to catch up. Because the new souls always unintentionally lie when they answer my question, God said, while brushing the tears from his burning cheeks. They aren't going to be kind, the nebula said. Not to everyone, God replied. It was really hard for them down there to live with kindness. They eventually decide that it's fine to only show empathy to certain people, and sometimes they will only be kind in order to get out of something they treat kindness as a transaction. The purple nebula frowned. They forgot the promise they make to me, God said, with his voice trailing off. 
if you know that these new souls are going to forget about their promise to you, why do you even bother sending them down there in the first place, the passing nebula asked. Just in case, what God whispered. Just in case what, the aspiring constellation replied. Just in case they remember. The nebula hugged God farewell before disappearing into itself. God drew a slow, deep breath. Time stopped for a moment and then raced to catch up. The divine dried his tears and waited for the next brand new soul to enter the departure room. The door between time and space opened and a little aqua cloud floated in timidly. God met it with a big smile. There you are, little soul. I've been waiting an eternity for this moment. God said with his trademark laugh. Quite a story, isn't it? When you think about what God intended when he said, be fruitful and multiply and rule over the world and walk with me through creation and always be a progressive participant, a progressive participant in my work in the world. Stand with me as we close. <clears throat> Let's pray together. God, what a difficult topic that we are talking about today. What a wonderfully complex, marvelous creation human beings are. We are full of potential, and yet at the same time, we are full of danger. We are people that can be called saints and sinners at the same time. We are people that have forgotten that we are made in your image. And we forget as we move through this world that we have never met eyes with anyone who has not been made in your image. And you have called us to participate in your progressive work and creation. And part of that, Lord, is understanding that we have something to contribute to each other. I pray that as we think about humanity and the potential of many different people from many different places that use many different cultures and many different languages, we'll see the bigger picture of what it means to be an image bearer of God. It's my prayer, Lord, that we might not think our understanding of God is the only one, that we will not just assume that we are right, May we take this ongoing process of learning and growing and asking questions to heart. And may those questions continue to help us to enlarge our soul and our spirit. May it enlarge our love in the world. Father, sometimes religion gets off base. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit. But help us to see the purity of religion is the purity of relationship the purity of mimicking the goodness and love of God. And so we ask that we might not forget, but wherever we are on this spectrum of understanding how life came to be, help us to understand that we are looking at your backside as you are moving into tomorrow and into the eons that are yet to come. Help us to understand, Lord, that we're a part of it for such a short period of time. And as we are this blip on the radar, we pray that we'll make the best use of our life possible.
that we might be the incarnation of the love that Jesus showed when he was among us. May we carry out his commission. May we carry out his crowning evolution for mankind when he tells us that he is the way and the truth and the life. We ask, Lord, that this, I, this message might help us all a little bit in framing that. So I pray all this and for your blessing on the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone, for coming out today. I hope you have a great week.